Hello. Welcome to Cavern of Secrets. I am Lauren Mitchell, your host, as always. And welcome. Welcome for the first time. Welcome back. You are now listening to a show about extraordinary women. Women. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> One woman <laughs> from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> amazing it's episode 11 our wonderful guest was Cheryl Strayed who is amazing probably most well known for her memoir Wild which was turned into a movie Uh, but she's also an award-winning essayist a novelist she has a podcast that gives it relationship and sex advice called Dear Sugar Radio based off a column she wrote for the rumpus she's so busy and amazing and talented and her and I have a great conversation about books. She's also a book nerd. She loves to read, so we extremely bonded over that. Oh, man, you guys, I love to read. I need a new good piece of fiction. If anyone has good fiction, Rex, please at me on Twitter them because I will always take I'll always take a book recommendation. But we can't have a book club. I'm a book club of one. I'm so sorry. Solitary book club. <sighs> All right, you guys. I think I've been pretty candid on here about how old I am, but this birthday is my 30th birthday. So I will no longer be in my 20s, in my mid-20s, in my late 20s. I will be in my 30s, which is great because I've always longed to give condescending advice to younger people that starts with, well, (laughs) when I was in my 20s, (laughs) you know? That's how it's all going to start from here on out. Moisturize daily. Get a good night cream. Uh, Use something with an SPF, you know? Just protect your skin. It's very important. Moisturize your neck. Don't forget to moisturize your neck. So many people don't know you got to moisturize your neck. It stresses me out, honestly. I, like, talk to women all the time who are, like, in their mid-20s, and they're just like, your neck? And I was like, oh, my God. It's attached to your face. Do you know what I'm saying? Anyways. Aging has got me thinking, not really about like the superficial aspects of aging. I have like six gray hairs. Um, I'm pretty stoked about them. I think they look sort of blonde, so I'm hoping maybe I end up looking like a silver Debbie Harry in her prime. What's weird to me about aging is that like, I remember when I was a teenager, Being an adult seemed so daunting. Like I was never gonna be ready for it. And what would stress me out was like thinking about any of the bureaucratic stuff that comes with being an adult, you know? Like paying bills, like saving money, like doing your taxes, all of that shit. And like, here I am standing before y'all. I don't know, I do my own taxes. I like pay my bills on time. I got like mutual funds and shit. I don't really know how that happened, but 
It did, I just slid right into adulthood without even noticing. And it's not daunting anymore, it's just boring as hell. <laughs> Participating in capitalism is so boring. <laughs> bureaucratic stuff just happens. It seems so weird. It seems so funny to me. Here we all are, just chugging along. Systems, structures, etc., etc. That is the one thing I miss about being a teenager. Not giving a fuck about any of that stuff. And not having to give a fuck about any of it. Just like working at the grocery store, spending all my money on CDs. Hell yeah. Anyways. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend, because I'm going to enjoy the hell out of mine. Make the most of the last days of my 20s. Uh, and then dive headfirst into my 30s, like the modern woman that I am. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think it's a good one. Cheryl's really awesome, and we had a really nice chat. Uh, and until next time... <laughs> Well, you know, anyways, until next time, enjoy the interview, and then I'll see y'all in two weeks or whatever. Bye. Forgive me for being uneducated about this, but are you on a publicity juggernaut or? In some ways on a publicity <laughs> juggernaut for like four years yeah, that's uh, since fair. Wild was published in, in March of 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was invited by TIFF. They do a books on film oh, cool. uh, program where they have some someone who was involved in some aspect of uh, a book to film adaptation and you, the, the people in the audience get to see the film and then also uh, listen to whoever that person is. Sometimes it's the writer, sometimes it's the person who was featured in the film. In my case, obviously, I wrote the book Wild. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it's a memoir, I was also a character in the yeah. movie. Reese Witherspoon played me in the film that came out at the end of 2014. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, I'm so fascinated. I was saying before you got in here, I used to work for uh, a literary agent. So I'd watched like my old boss sell the rights of books to filmmakers and also watch that process fizzle out. And then they just like own the rights to it. I guess what I'm interested in is like, had Wild already come out and then they were like, yo, let's make a movie about this? Or did you, had you already sold the film option for it? I had finished Wild. It was completely done more than a year before it was published. And that was just the way it works in the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, well, we don't want to bring it out in the summer, and we don't want to bring it out in the fall, and we don't want to bring it out in the holiday. Pretty soon it was like, okay, spring of next year. And which was at the time a hard pill to swallow Mm -hmm. because as a writer I was like, come on, you know, like I want to get this book in the world. It's like, honestly, I had dotted every I and crossed every T more than a year before it was published. It was totally copy edited, totally edited. (laughs) But what my editor and my agent said to me at the time is, well, you know, actually this gives us a lot of time to get the book in the hands of booksellers and magazine editors and, you know, all the people in the business who you want to have had read your book by the Mm -hmm. time it comes out. And so it did that and it grew an enormous amount of buzz. But meanwhile, what I was doing is saying, okay, twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the book to come out. And I said to my literary agent, you know, I wonder if we should approach anyone in Hollywood. And um, she soon hooked me up with this um, wonderful woman, Sherry Smiley, who 
uh, is a film agent, my film agent mm-hmm. and film manager, film and TV manager. And um, Sherry read the book and said, you know, it's such a strong role for a woman. Let's find an actress who would be interested in it because we sort of instinctively knew that that's what it would take to get the movie made. You know, Hollywood's not exactly falling all over itself, um, wanting to feature, you know, movies that basically have a role for a woman and like hardly any men, you know, it's really a book about a woman walking alone in the wilderness and grieving her mother. And so it was, it happened very quickly. Sherry Smiley said, you know, I know that Reese Witherspoon has been talking a lot lately about forming a production company with this producer, Bruno Papandrea, and they are looking for strong roles. And, you know, she called Reese's people, and Reese said that she would read it over the weekend. So this was like a Thursday or Friday. Wow. And Reese read it over the weekend. And Monday morning, I got a phone call from my agent saying Reese loved it and wanted to talk to me about optioning it. So Reese and I soon after that got on the phone for the first time and we talked for like an hour. And so this was about, um, this was November of 2011 and the book was published in March of 2012. So it was, you know, three, there's like four, four months, four or five months before the book was out. And so Reese was one of the first just like civilians to read the book. Wow, that's fascinating. Everyone else was like in the book biz, right? And so she loved it. And we had this really deep, long talk. A lot of people hear like, oh, a movie star wanted to option my book and that they act as if I didn't, you know, that I would just immediately go, yes, yes. Yeah. And even though obviously I was excited to hear she liked the book, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Yeah. She would, you know, I wanted to hear what she had to say. Yeah. And we had this great talk and she told me why she was so moved by the book Mm -hmm. and why she thought that she would be the person. So she wanted to, to do play that you like from yes. the get-go. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And she wanted to play me and produce the film. And so we just had a connection from the very beginning. And um that has only grown over time. We have become dear friends. I love her. And you're right about this thing. Um, I mean, I think one of the biggest misperceptions about your book being optioned for film or television is that that means it's going to be made. Yeah. The great chances are that most authors who have a book optioned um, it's never going to see the light of day. And yeah. it's not because it's not a worthy or good book. It's just the way that that world is. is yeah. they, they option a lot of projects and only a few come to fruition. And those that come to fruition, um, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, sometimes it's it happens because, like in my case, you know, somebody really wanted to make it happen and somebody who had the kind of clout to make it happen, yeah. like Reese Witherspoon. That's an experience I've had. I, I've talked to people over and over again telling them, listen, it's exciting if your book is optioned, but don't start booking your yeah. your you know <laughs> manicure for the Oscars quite yet. Yeah. In most ways, writing is quite solitary. I mean, your story is like sort of a story of solitude in its yeah. own way. And then you have the solitary process. I mean, you work with an editor, but like the writing is you. And then you go into making this film and it's this huge collaborative effort. Did you have to change gears? Did it feel quite natural to make that sort of move into a huge collaborative art thing? Well, it's a really different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even, I mean, obviously it's fun. It's so much more fun, frankly, in some ways than writing, Mm because writing, you're just there by yourself. Though, of course, through writing, I get this really deep sense of satisfaction. And, you know, it's really making the thing itself. And then, you know, when I was on the set or reading the script or watching a cut of the film and and weighing in on it, 
it was about how do we get these things to translate? Like, what are all of the mm-hmm. elements of the book and how many of them can we translate them to the screen? Some things had to be left to the side. Yep. And, you know, that was, I had to just sort of come to terms with that. Yeah. But, you know, the other thing is like, I was the fairy godmother of the movie, but the book, I was you know, the master of the universe. It was like, I made the book. (laughs) And nobody else really had a hand in that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, my editor was helpful in terms of giving me feedback, and I owe a lot to her, but but I wrote the book, Mm -hmm. you know. And with the film, it really was somebody else's vision, and not just one other person's vision. I mean, Jean-Marc Vallée had a vision, obviously, for the film, but each person, each actor has his or her own vision in in playing the character he Mm -hmm. or she plays or the set designers or all the people who go into making a film. It's so different than writing a book. I mean, literally, it's just like dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people who are, you know, behind the scenes making a movie happen. I'm so interested in the fact that you were still able to have that creative input. That is like so rare. It is rare. And it's a combination, you know, of, I mean, working with people who are wonderful Mm -hmm. and who don't bow to their egos. Like, uh, you know, I think it's a very, could be a very threatening thing to have an author weighing in, say, on, you know, your first cut of the film, which, you know, Jean-Marc Vallée, cut by cut, he would send me each cut and then we would Skype and he would ask my opinion about everything. And we would have these long conversations. Now, that is really extraordinary and rare. And that's an artist who's strong enough to say, I want to listen to you. You know, he really cared what I thought. But for my part, I think that he was open to that Mm -hmm. because I wasn't a diva. Like, I wasn't like, listen, this film's going to be the way I want it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, there were so many things that if I were making the film, I would have done them differently. Mm -hmm. But I was hands off because, of course, I was like, no, it's it's not my film. And then, you know, there were a couple of things that I could see what he was trying to do. And I thought, okay, maybe if I could give him feedback about Mm -hmm. this or that and to help him. I always felt like I wanted to help him realize his vision, not to um, impose mine. And I think if I had entered as somebody who was going to impose myself on essentially the creative endeavors of others, I would have not been invited, you know? And I think that that that's one of the pieces of advice that I give my fellow author friends. I've had many come to me and say, you know, so-and-so just opted on my film. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend? And it's really walking that fine line between, you know, making sure that you've advocated for yourself Mm -hmm. and that you've struck a deal with somebody that you can trust, but then also realizing, like, this isn't your work. It's work that's based on your work. Do you think it would have been a different situation if the book that you had wrote was a piece of fiction? I mean, there was, like, more room for you in there because they were like, no, this, like, literally happened to you. Like, it's your life. And we have you as, like, a well of knowledge about the thing that happened. So do you think that played into it as well, that maybe if it had been, like – although, I mean, like, in a fictional world, you sort of invent – No, it would hugely. It's hugely because that character was me and all the characters were real people. Yeah. I mean, all of them. So I think on a personal level, if this had been a novel instead of a memoir, I still would have like become friends with all those Mm -hmm. people and connected with them and they would have invited me in. But there's no question that I was actually useful to them because it was like, okay, it really was me. And it even became a kind of really common phrase on the set, Jean-Marc Vallée. Whenever there was a question or a, like, should we do it this way or that way, he would turn to me and mm-hmm. or he would tell 
the crew. Ask Cheryl. Ask yeah. Cheryl. Ask, what does Cheryl, what really happened? And even the wardrobe people, like it was amazing to me actually how much they wanted it to be like it was. Mm-hmm. Like they went and, you know, recreated the actual clothes I wore. Wow. Um, they looked at pictures of my mom and made clothes for Laura Dern that you can see in photographs wow. of my mother. It's really uncanny um, the way some of those scenes, they just give me like, it's like, oh, you know, I look at Reese. There are some shots of Reese on the trail that they look like a picture of me. Wow. You know, the pack that she carries is the same exact same kind of pack I carried. Um, the company, of course, doesn't make it anymore, but they mm-hmm. they gave them a archival pack to use. Cool. And, you know, I do a double take because it looks like my pack. It's my monster, you know. You're like, wait, what? And <laughs> it's just crazy. And so, like, they cared a lot. But yeah, they. I think that you're right that like this dynamic was amplified by the fact that it's really me. And yet I do have friends who wrote memoirs that were made into movies and they weren't, you know, involved in that way. One of the most fascinating things to me about adaptation mm. is that it can be done so many different ways. Like sometimes what they aspire to do is really be as true to the original text mm-hmm. as possible. And that's certainly what Jean-Marc Vallée and Reese and other and Nick, all of them, that was their intention from the start. But other times it's like they purposely make the adaptation like hardly at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it isn't even that movie, that wonderful mm-hmm. movie called Adaptation, yeah. which is an adaptation, right, of Susan Orleans. Yes. Um, is it The Orchid Thief? Uh, I think that's what it is. I think so. Yeah. yeah so Susan Orleans, and, and it's a completely different movie yeah. than the book. It's an entire revisioning of a way to tell a story about the story inside that book. Yeah. I was just saying the other day I wanted to see Inherent Vice because I read that book like when it came out and I still yeah. haven't seen it. But I'm just like, I'm worried. You know, I trust Paul Thomas Anderson, but like – I have this thing in my head of the book, and I don't, you know, you don't want that ruined. I know. You know, my daughter, who's 10, Mm -hmm. uh, just recently discovered The Hunger Games, and she read all, like, Mm -hmm. the trilogy, and just voraciously, like, I've never seen her. It was like she was just obsessed, you know? I said, oh, like, you know, now we can see the movie, too. And she's like, no, no, (laughs) I won't see the movie. And it's funny, and I said, why? And she was so strong about it. She was like, I don't want to ruin the, yeah. the book. And then a couple days ago, I did an event in San Francisco that Elizabeth Banks and I did together, mm-hmm. actually, with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. And um, and so my kids were backstage with me, and we were hanging out with Elizabeth Banks. They're big fans of hers because they've seen Pitch Perfect. Mm-hmm. And somehow my daughter was like, wait, were you in The Hunger Games, too? <laughs> and so now maybe they'll see it because they've actually met Elizabeth Banks yeah. and they want to see her. But they've resisted the movie, you know, yeah, because that's... of that. That's so funny. I was really like that about Harry Potter. Um, I think sometimes you like a trust builds because I knew they were making the film with only British actors. And I mean, those movies to me are like what I envisioned Harry Potter to be. In my mind, It was it's very close. So sometimes they get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, too, there's no... There's no one opinion either. One of the things that's been fascinating to me with Wilde is to hear what the fans of the book have to say about Mm -hmm. the movie. And that was one of my biggest fears. When the movie was being made, when I was, like, watching those cut by cut, Mm -hmm. I was thinking of myself, of course, and worried about, like, the way that that story would come across to the world. But also thinking about all the fans because by then, you know, Mm -hmm. Wild came out and was a bestseller and it had all of these fans. And and not just fans, but people who felt changed by the book. Yeah, and they felt a connection Like, they felt a really – like, if you love Wild, it's a personal – it's a personal connection, you know? And so I felt 
almost an obligation to the the readers. Like, yeah. okay, I, this movie better be good. A whole bunch of people love Wild. Well, there's a whole bunch of people who hate it too. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that's just how it is to make art in the world. Yeah. That's what makes making art so scary is yeah. that there's people out there who are going to be like, mm, I don't like this. Yeah. And you're like, well, who the fuck are and you? And how could you, know you not? I mean? I mean, it's actually kind of a beautiful thing when you think about it because that's why art is so powerful. Because yeah. We love it from a really subjective point of view. Yeah. Like it sounds like you're a big Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sad to tell you that my kids are 10 and 12. I have tried – to read to them <sighs> Harry Potter, and they have tried to read Harry Potter to themselves, and it's just never caught fire with us. It's just never been the thing. This doesn't say anything mm-hmm. about Harry Potter no. or J.K. Rowling or any, you know, like I'm sure it's brilliant. Like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it has to be, right? This many people love it. But for whatever reason, it was like at the moment that I picked it up and was mm-hmm. reading it. It just wasn't my cup of tea and it wasn't yeah. my kids. You know, it just didn't capture them yeah. the way that like, for example, then my daughter picks up the Hunger Games and can't put it down. I mean, I did read that first Hunger Games book in like, I mean, I'm 30 now and I was 20 or 21 or so when it came out. And I was like, I was living with my ex-boyfriend at the time and I was like sitting in a corner <laughs> of our apartment, like blowing through the Hunger Games. And he was like, what are you, are you reading a children's book right now? And I was like, there's killing. It's not really a children's book. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound, It's. I haven't read the book. I suppose I should, but. Seriously, I've never seen my daughter respond. I mean, she's always loved books, but this was diff- on a different level. She yeah. immediately wrote um, Suzanne Collins a fan letter. Oh, my God. It was the sweetest thing. And it really touched me because as somebody who is, you know, on the other side of so many people's, mm-hmm. like, letters and emails and yeah. so forth. And to, the, to see my daughter, like, like I always appreciate those emails, but I have to say, you know, sometimes you get sort of like overwhelmed and like, I can't, okay, thank you, but yeah. you know, I can't. <laughs> and then I see my daughter and how much it meant to her to write that. It just reminded me again of just like that intimate relationship yeah. that, we, that writers and readers have with each other. Even reading fiction, sometimes you're like, man, I know this person yeah. that like wrote this. Like, to me, the connection between someone who writes is like a almost a deeper connection than like any other kind of art for me. I think so too. No, I think you're right. I I, I think it's not a competition. Obviously, like music does something really powerfully yeah. to us, and and seeing an amazing play or dance performance or painting mm-hmm. or you know, so it's it's not a competition. I think that each form um, excels in kind of one area, mm-hmm. but the way that literature excels. The greatest in my mind is this ability to be interior. It's the only yeah. art form that you actually get to be inside somebody mm-hmm. else's mind. So when you read Wild, you were in my mind, in my body. I'm describing to you how I actually feel. You mm-hmm. know, I'm aching for a, a sip of cold water and mm-hmm. a lemonade, or my feet are killing me, or the sorrow I'm feeling as I walk and thinking about my mother. Mm-hmm. And What's happening, you know, if you if you get on that train and you love that mm-hmm. book, is that you really bond, you know, with that mind. Yep. In some ways, that's what's always been interesting to me about like literary memoir, mm-hmm. like uh, Wild, and versus a literary novel, um, is that really you're doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I might as well be a fictional character to you if you're reading that book and you don't know me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so whether I'm a real person in the world or somebody I invented for you, um, because when you invent a person, you have to make them real. Yeah. You have to make them alive. My first book is a novel. And my favorite question about that book is people will come up to me and say, 
So what happened to Claire and Josh next? And Claire and Josh are these fictional characters mm-hmm. in the book. And I always laugh and I say, nothing happened next. Yeah. <laughs> they're because not real. They, they don't <laughs> exist. They, the book ended. And yeah. there was no next for them because I just made them up. Yeah. And people are like crushed by that. <laughs> and and I know that feeling, yeah. you know. And it's the beauty and power of the written word is that I get to make you feel like this person is real. I get to make you feel what that person is feeling and Mm -hmm. experiencing. And even if you don't relate, you know, to that character, you believe them, you know, that you're like, okay, you are having this credible experience about this thing. I mean, Harry Potter, even like in a fantastical world, you know, in a literal sense that whatever, I don't, I didn't read the book. So, but they're doing things with wands and so forth, right? You got the whole gist. (laughs) And you're not thinking like this exists, but you believe it. You believe it in a, in a deeper place than your rational mind. It truly like makes me sad that, like, there's some people who don't experience books or literature the way that I do, you know? Well, I found that I don't believe them when they say that. <laughs> what, what I, and, and, I, and here's how I know that it's not true. I have met so many people mm-hmm. who come to me and say, this happened with both Torch mm-hmm. um, when it came out in 2006, and then even more with Wild when it mm-hmm. came out, you know, when it came out and more people read it, is that I've had so many people come up to me and say, I don't like to read. I have never read a book. This is the first book that I've read all the way through because I couldn't put it down. Yeah. And so what I say to them is like, oh, so then you like books. You don't just, I say, trust me, I know you don't like just this book. Yeah. Okay. As much as I'd like to believe about myself, (laughs) like you could like hate all of literature except for me, my, my books. Your experience is that you haven't found the books that engage you. It is true. I've also been made to read a bunch of books that were boring to me throughout my education. And I don't regret having been made to read them. But if that was the only experience I had with reading. Yeah, it would have been. I would think I I don't like to read. Right. And so what's really powerful is saying like, okay, no, you just have to keep looking because there's no question that we innately love story. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is an ancient, primitive, like we need story. And I'm all kinds of things back me up mm-hmm. in every direction. When you look at culture and society and the way that we've functioned as people, um, what is the Bible full of? What are, what are all the, the seminal religious texts full of yeah. that story? I wish there was some way where we could just go into the like educational system and be like, ah, stop making people read Catcher in the Rye or like stop. I don't know. I, I wish that education treated reading as like more of a like treat. Yeah. When I was in elementary school, it was like, oh, shit, it's private reading time. Like, this is my yeah. favorite time of the day. Yeah, my kids, too. They love that. But, I mean, and that's what's the thing. Like, you say, stop making kids read Catch from the Rye. Well, for some kids, yeah. that's the book that they really love. Yeah. You know? And so, to me, maybe what it is, is stop saying, like, everyone's going to read this book. Yeah, and, and I understand why they do it. Yeah. Because how is the class going to discuss, you know, yeah, 10 different books? But, but what and... if they did say, like, over the course of the school year, you mm-hmm. have to find five different books that you really like. Yeah. And they can be in any genre. They could be fantasy. They could be mystery. They could mm-hmm. be literary. I hate literary snobs more than anything. Oh I have an like, English degree. They're the worst people. <laughs> I'm, I know. I have an English degree and an MFA in creative writing. Oh, God. And what I, what I think is like, what's a good book? A good book is one that you find to be good. Yeah. You know? And there's no judgment about what that is. No. And so, you know, really, I mean, letting kids find their way to literature out of a place of 
um, excitement and interest and engagement, I think is the way to get them to then, you know, maybe later say, okay, we're all going to read Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. And Frankenstein is, you know, written in the 19th century and it can be a little bit hard to get through places, but it's going to be rewarding if yeah. you can endure some of that, you know, boring first hundred pages or whatnot. Yeah. Nothing against, um, uh, you know, Mary, Mary Shelley. Shelley. <laughs> I actually love that book. Yeah, but I, I remember I read that book in college and I took this class on 19th century mm-hmm. women writers. Mm-hmm. And one thing that happened with each book Almost all of them were really difficult to get into, and yeah. then I fell in love with them. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that reading should always be easy or that we shouldn't challenge people. I just think that we're doing it kind of too soon yeah. before before readers are engaged. Yeah, I think so too. Man, if someone had given me that project when I was like a kid, that's what essentially what I did anyways when I was in elementary yeah. school. I read all the books so that they would just let me pick what I wanted to yeah. read. Which really worked out quite well it's for like, me. Okay, I'll do this work if yeah. I can be released from book prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please let me out of book prison. Please don't make me read. Oh, God, I don't know. Do you know what? I was really into the Babysitter's Club for a long time. If someone made a movie about my sister and I didn't get cast in the movie and I didn't get to do like a fantasy casting type of situation, I would have been pretty devastated. So my question is twofold. Was your sister like, damn it, I wanted like another Reese Witherspoon, beautiful Hollywood woman to play me on the screen. And also, if you could pick someone else other than Reese Witherspoon to have portrayed you uh, in Wild, who would it be? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Well, you know, my sister was really understanding. And part of it was she didn't have this huge role in the book. I mean, obviously, both my siblings had a big role in, in the book in that just the essential you know, my family was my brother and sister. And in the opening chapter of Wild, I write about our childhood that, yeah. you know, that we shared and we were very close as kids. And so in that regard, she was like in the background of my yeah. life. But during that era, like when I was taking the hike and so forth, we, we weren't super close or mm-hmm. super in touch. Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't um, like she wasn't a big part of the book either. Yeah. You know, and so then when it came to adapting for the film, I think what they were trying to do is like streamline the story. Each character they introduce into the film is kind of a character who has to be given something to do. Yeah, it can't all be Game of Thrones. You know, yeah. You 600 characters. Yeah, and so I I was kind of bummed that they did that, but I think mm-hmm. I understood why they did it. And I don't think that she felt bad about it, maybe a little bit. We, we She wasn't upset about mm-hmm. it, which is good. It's odd. I mean, one of the weirdest things to me about being a memoirist is that there's so much attention put on like memoirs, like okay, did they tell the truth? Did, yeah. they, did they? You know, what did they? What are they hiding? No one or, wants to get and everyone's James always like, on Oprah. Yeah, and everyone's always sort of like, oh, did she lie? How much did you make up? Or how much can yeah. you even believe a memoir? There's a lot of suspicion. Yeah, which I just find so kind of sad. You know, like yeah. I, I really went out of my way to try to be as not just honest, but actual, like factual as yeah. possible. You know, um, but then the movie comes along, and nobody has any. <laughs> like problem at all with like them just completely like vastly changing things like the structure of my family you know like I had a sister and a stepfather and there's and nobody's like oh the film is so false like for some reason we allow yeah um films based on actual events to have so much more license than we allow books which I don't understand but it's true and so you know that that's there and then the question about who else would I have had play me I don't know, just say I can't answer that because Reese was so brilliant and I love her so much that I can't imagine anyone else doing it. That's so nice. It's sort of nice that like in a weird way, the like 
sort of ideal person to play you just ended up being, like, the person who got a hold of the book and, like, loved it and was like, I'm going to do this justice. Yeah. I only asked because I was thinking about who would play me in the movie about my life. Anyways, I narrowed it down to Kira Sedgwick as, like, older me Uh and, like, Claire Danes as younger me. Yeah. There, well, there are so many amazing people. Like, I met Claire Danes a couple months ago in New York, and she was in a play. She and I had dinner afterwards, and it was just like, you know, I mean, there's so many. There's not a dearth of extraordinary yeah. actresses in the world. Yeah. And you know who I absolutely love, um, who's from Canada, Sarah Polly. Yeah, Sarah Polly. I mean, Pauly. she is like, really. I mean, I love her so much, and I've loved her for a really long time. Yeah. She's a national treasure. Uh, yeah, she is, both as an actor and a director. Mm-hmm. Sarah Polly, if you're listening to this, I love you. Yeah, Sarah Polly. Shout out to Sarah. Polly, come on the podcast. <laughs> Cheryl loves you. Come on the podcast. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for doing yeah. this and taking the time to chat with me. This was really fun. Yeah, it was really fun. So what's the deal? Do I have to say something official? Yes, this was fantastic. <laughs> no, it's, Thank it's, you. It was so nice that you just talked to me. You didn't um, have all these notes and all this stuff. I'm not. I like mean, a, not that there's anything wrong with notes, but I just liked that you just talked to me. I'm not a journalist, so <laughs> I don't really know. Oh, man. Thank you again to Cheryl Strayed for coming through. Cavern of Secrets is, as per usual, brought to you by Hazlitt. It's hosted by me, Laura Mitchell. Our theme music has been made by the wonderful Bianca Giulione. Cavern is produced by my dear sweet friend, Enchiman Itamsetti. And you can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. We're, like, literally all over the World Wide Web. It's pretty crazy. And you can also find us on our website, cavernofsecrets.com. Or on Twitter, we're at Cavern of Secrets. And if you like us and you like what we're doing, if you could throw us a little rating on iTunes, it helps people find us, and that's very important. And we love when you give us five-star ratings. It's so nice. (laughs) Uh, And I'm Lauren, as per usual. Thanks for listening.